I extended a special welcome to those that are joining us online. I also want to take a moment to say a special welcome to those that are joining us this morning on the radio through KTCU. We hope and pray that you feel the sense of being connected to our community of faith as well, wherever you are. So our scripture text this morning that we're going to look at in just a few moments is from Paul's letter to a, a number of early Christian communities in the region known as Galatia, which scholars believe was a, a Roman providence uh, in Central Asia Minor that had been celebrated, been settled, excuse me, by immigrant Celts. And scholars believe that, that Paul has visited that area in the midst of some of his travels and had founded these churches and was now, years later, writing back to them to address a very specific issue that was causing a lot of division, a lot of conflict within those congregations. And the central theme, the burning issue of the time, the central issue of this letter was in response to that debate. And it was an argument about whether Gentile Christians, and remember, a Gentile was anybody who was not Jewish, so Gentile Christians were were Christians that had not come through the Jewish tradition, whether or not they had to follow the Mosaic law in the same way that Jews had previous to their becoming Christians. And in the letter, Paul spends the first couple of chapters discussing his life before Christ, before he had that interaction, before God came and turned his life inside out and upside down by the love and the grace of God. And then we get to this part of the letter, the part that we're going to read in just a few moments, when Paul turns his attention to the issue at hand and begins to talk about how the world is different now on this side of faith. So I invite you to listen to this word from Galatians chapter 3. The reading this morning is from Galatians chapter 3, verses 23 through 29. Now before faith came, we were in prison and guarded under the law until faith would be revealed. Therefore the law was our disciplinarian until Christ came so that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer subject to a disciplinarian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. As many of you as were baptized in Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Therefore, there is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male or female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. The word of God for the people of God. Doesn't he have an amazing voice? Could you? I could just listen to you read the phone book. Do they still have phone books? They don't have phone books anymore. I'm seeing a theme today. 
So after faith came, Paul says, everything is changed. Everything's different. It was one way before, but now things are different. All bets are off. There's a new sheriff in town. Pick your cliche, they all fit. They all fit here. Things are different now that faith has come. Years ago, there was a book of short stories that came out written by a Canadian by the name of Douglas Copeland. And the book was entitled Life After God. Now, Copeland is a guy that's about my age, not much older than me, that had written years before that. And he had coined a term in that book about people in our generation, people around my age, his age. And the term was Generation X. Some of you have probably heard that phrase before. Some of you are that age. And that term just sort of took off. And he described us in this generation as, as being somewhat spiritual but irreverent, which I kind of like. In fact, I'm going to put that on my business card, maybe even my tombstone. Spiritual but a little irreverent. He pointed out that we were, this generation, in many ways, the first generation raised without religion, sort of raised in a post-Christian culture, which is why I believe that so many of us in my generation are spiritual but not religious, another phrase that you have probably heard in some way, shape, or form. And so Copeland's work was essentially an attempt to show what life was like in this new reality, in this post-Christian culture, this life after God, that we are filled with these strong religious impulses, but yet not really knowing how to live them out in a world that is filled with social media and TV and craft dinners. How do we cope with the loneliness, with the anxiety? How do we reach that quiet, safe layer of our lives? In the beginning of the book, he sets us up. And he tells us that he has a secret that he's going to reveal, but he's going to wait until the end of the book. Just hang on, he says. Bear with me. I'll try to explain it later, I promise. He's going to explain later what life is like after God, after faith, after Christ, after grace. Now, the text that is before us this morning is part of a larger conversation, a larger discussion that Paul was having with the fine folks of Galatia about the justification of grace. Theologians, scholars, members of those churches were in the midst of a debate, a debate that in some ways still rages on today between the difference between justification by grace, which essentially says that there's nothing that you can do to earn God's love, that God loves you and is gracious to you, offers you unconditional love, not because you've earned it, not because you've done anything, but just that's how gracious and loving God is. On the other side of the debate are those like in the book of James, when he talks about the justification by works, meaning that as people of faith, we are to do certain things, we are to live a certain way, that we are to earn within the shadow of God's love, we are to earn and to live a certain way. We are justified not just by grace, but also by our works. 
And that text that Rory read just a moment ago is at the heart of that discussion. Now, remember that Paul is writing to a, a church that is full of Jewish Christians, but also Gentile Christians. People that are now in the same place, but they arrived there by very different paths. And to the Jews, those Jewish Christians, he speaks of their old life as being imprisoned and guarded under the law. You heard that phrase. They had the law with its list of requirements and demands. That that was the way that they related to God. That was the way that they lived out their faith through the law, through the living out of those rules and those demands. But now, Paul says, after faith has come, Jews like Paul have discovered that they are in an entirely different relationship with God. No longer are they subject to the discipline and the judgment of the law. They are all children of God through faith, he says. Those who once obeyed as if they were hired hands, as if they are servants of God, now are simply children of God. Now what's even more surprising is that Paul says to the Gentile Christians that they are now Abraham's offspring. Keep in mind that Abraham was the father of the Jewish people, the progenitor of the whole family of Israel, but now through Christ who came to make all things new, these Gentiles have become children of God just the same. Even the outsiders are now members of the family, inheritors of all that God has so graciously promised Israel. In light of this new relationship, Paul is able to look back and to see that the law was more of a a human effort to get into God's good graces, to get right with God, to belong. And what he's trying to point out is that there is nothing that we can do to ever earn God's love, that you can't do anything in order to belong. No matter how hard you try, you can't work in order to become someone's child. Now I want you to imagine for just a moment that if a stranger were to show up at your house and just sort of knock on your door and say, you know what, I've been watching the way that you interact with each other, the way that you love one another, the great vacations that you take, I'd really like to be a part of your family. Can I, can I move in? Will you adopt me? Now, you probably wouldn't do that. You may want to, but you probably wouldn't do that. But the only way to join a family in that way is to be adopted. The only way to be beloved children in the family of God is through the adoptive, expansive love of God in Christ. My friend Patrick is the father of a son who he adopted. And his son's name is Colin, and he's now at the age where he can understand what that means. And when they talk with him, with Colin, about what it means that he's adopted, the way that they coin it, the way that they phrase it, is that he was chosen, that he's special. Or, as Patrick puts it, instead of being brought by the stork, we got to go to Walmart and pick you out all by yourself. Did I mention that Patrick's from Georgia? Did I mention that? I don't know if I shared that. All children are special. We saw the ones that were dedicated today all are a gift from God in their own unique way, but there is something different, Patrick tells me, about being chosen. 
And Paul tells us that that's exactly what has happened in the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the expansive love of God. We are all chosen. You didn't choose me, Jesus said at one point to his disciples. You didn't choose me. I chose you. One of my favorite genres of books is spiritual autobiographies. I'm reading a great one right now called Between Two Kingdoms. I recommend it highly. But my all-time favorite spiritual autobiography is by a woman by the name of Anne Lamott. It's called Traveling Mercies. Anybody ever read Traveling Mercies? If not, read it today. It's fantastic. And she tells a story about younger, earlier in her life, that her life was a bit of a mess. She was an alcoholic. She abused drugs. Her life was a mess, and she woke up one day in a hungover stupor, and she wanted a fresh start. She knew that she could no longer live this way, that she was destroying herself from the inside out, and so she wanted a fresh start. She had heard that there was a new minister at the church down the street. She'd not met him, but she called him up and said, I need some help. Can I come and sit and talk with you for a little bit? And he agreed to meet with her, and mostly he just listened and cared for her. And she would say in her book that he was, up to that point in her life, the only Christian that she met that she could stand to be in the same room with. There was no judgment. There was no rules. There were no requirements. It was just grace. And in light of that grace, she just sort of let her story spill out. And then at one point, in the midst of their conversation, she asked him, so what does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to be saved? And as soon as she said that word, she says, it smacked of Elmer Gantry or, or Billy Graham. She didn't like the way that it sounded in her mouth, but still she wanted to know. And this new minister in town smiled and says, you know what, you don't need to worry about that just yet. Let's get you straightened out first. But she wanted to know, and so she pushed him. She asked him again. And finally, he says, well, let me think. And he said, I guess it's like discovering that you were on the shelf of a pawn shop, dusty and forgotten, and maybe, maybe you're not worth that much. But Jesus comes in and tells the pawnbroker, you know what? I'll take that one. I'll take her place on the shelf. Let her go out and live her life. That's what it means to be saved. You didn't choose me, Jesus said. I, I chose you. So what is life like after God? Paul says there's no longer Jew or Greek. There's no longer slave or free. There's no longer male or female for all of you. All of you are one in Christ Jesus. In other words, all are children of God. All have been chosen. And I think yet, I think of all the human sadness, of all the human difficulty, all the injustice and heartache that have occurred throughout human history because there have been groups, there have been individuals who have said, you know what, I'm master over you. You are my slave, you are my servant. They say in some way, shape, or form, you know what, I'm better than you. I have a claim on the love and grace of God more so than you. Well, today is Juneteenth, Emancipation Day, the first year that it has been a national holiday. And like the banks and the federal employers, this church will be closed tomorrow because we celebrate that day in the great nation.
a nation when we finally came to the realization that the very notion of slavery is an abomination before God. And we made it illegal. And today we celebrate and commit to making the world a better place for all of God's children. I remember one time about reading an article about the linguistic habits of war. That when a nation prepares to go to war with another, that the first thing that they must do is to dehumanize the other people. To turn that person, those people, into an it. It's been done for centuries. And that's what the Russians are doing right now to the people of Ukraine. They're somehow brainwashing their people into believing that they, the Ukrainians, that they are somewhat less than human, that they deserve what's happening to them. And that's what allows those atrocities to take place, that they aren't really human. They don't even feel it. They're less than human. And not being human means they don't even feel the pain that we're inflicting upon them. We tend to do that. Maybe not just in war, but what are the ways in which we look at people that are other than us, that look different, that love different, that vote different, that sound different than we do? that we say that they are different than we are. We have this horrible habit of othering other people. But what we need in this world now, perhaps more than ever, what we so desperately need in this time is a way to know that there is no us in them, there is just we. We the people, we might say. Yesterday here in our very church, we hosted a celebration of World Refugee Day, something that we've done for the last several years, but not been able to host it for the last couple of years for obvious reason. And it's this event that celebrates the strength and the courage of people that have been forced to flee from their home country to escape conflict or persecution. And there were all sorts of celebrations in different ways, educational activities where people from, from all over the community can come and learn about the refugee experience, to find out how you can help. It's always an incredible experience that highlights all of the difference, but yet also the recognition that no matter how different we are, that we may look different, we may worship different, we may even call God by a different name, but we are all children of God, worthy of God's love. It's a reminder that we are all part of the human family, that we are adored and loved, and yes, I dare say, chosen by God. That we are all, no matter where we come from, we all have a shared destiny, shared hopes, shared dreams. Now, I told you at the beginning of the sermon about Douglas Copeland and the secret that he promised to reveal at the beginning of the book, this voice of the generation raised without religion. And on the last page, he says this. Now, here's my secret, he says. And I tell it to you with an openness of heart that I doubt that I shall ever achieve again. And so I pray, I pray that you are in a quiet place that you can hear these words because my secret is, he said, my secret is I need God. I need 
God, I am sick and can no longer make it alone. I need God to help me give because I no longer seem capable of giving. I need God to help me love because I seem beyond being able to love. I need God. And the truth is, whether or not we dare to risk his honesty, is that his story is our story. His need is our need. You see, Church, I believe that we all need God, which is probably why you are here today. Because you've come to recognize and realize that there is a part of you that needs, needs to be loved. We all need God. There is no us and them. We all need God. And the good news the good news of God is that in the midst of that need, unable to save ourselves, that Jesus walks into the pawn shops of our lives and points to each and every one of us and says, that's the one I want. I'll take that one. Let her go outside again and live her life. Will you pray with me, please? Lord God, when we were lost, you found us. When we were orphans, you made us family. When we were alone, you came and stood beside us. For doing for us that which we could not do for ourselves, we give you thanks and praise. And ask that you help us, O oh God, to live as inheritors of your kingdom and enable us to act like your children in all that we do. Open our eyes to the neighbors and the enemies and to see them as your beloved children. This we pray in your holy and sacred name. Amen. Today we dedicate parents and the congregation to the nurture of young lives in the church. We celebrate the lives of Grace Jane Griffith, daughter of Patrick and Chelsea Griffith, of Millie Marguerite Hodges, daughter of Megan Hodges, and Royal Davis Douglas, daughter of Colin and Neely Douglas. Jesus said, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles themselves like this child, they are the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus, through his example, taught adults to love children, and the church must do the same. We will love these children through affirmation, kindness, warm words, accepting arms, example, and patience. Parents are the key, and the rest of us are called to help them in giving to their children what they cannot. People of University Christian Church, do you promise to live so that these children know that they are loved by God in their church, and do you promise to welcome them with open arms and hearts into our community of faith? If so, please say, with God's help, we will. That these children come today with extended family and friends, and so I would ask you to simply stand right where you are, family and friends of these children. And I would ask now, as you stand before them, will you give yourself to the nurture and to the growth and to the love of these children? And will you support these parents as they strive to give their very, very best to their children? If so, please say, with the help of God, we will. Thank you. You may be seated. And to the parents, I would ask now for your blessing. Will you give the very best of the lives to the, your children by loving and leading them to the love of Christ, 
first and foremost by example? And will you allow the community of faith to support you in prayer and in loving your child in ways beyond your reach? If so, please say, with the help of God, we will. Wonderful. I'm going to invite you to come with me. Since we've got a few, I'm going to have them sort of spread themselves. Oh, look at her walking. She's on her own. Come on down here. Church, I want you to meet some of these kids. You know what? I'm going to take this one. Can I take this one? She, she was willing to come to me a moment ago. Come here, sweet girl. Now, I want you to meet Grace, and I also want you to meet her parents, because it was just a couple, three years ago, right, that they walked down this very aisle, and I met them at the front, and I married them, and now, look how good I did. <laughs> it's all about me. What a beautiful girl. You are a blessing. Her name is Grace. And may she serve as a reminder to us that we are loved as we are, not because of what we do, look at that smile, but because we are simply children of God. Blessings to you, dear Grace. And these kids over here, hi, look at her, she is working the crowd. Now, one of the things that I need you to know about these two families is that the moms grew up together here at University Christian Church. And now they are raising their daughters at the same time in love of University Christian Church. What do you think? Now, part of the reason that I wanted them to come and to stand amongst you is to allow that to be a visual reminder that all of these people surround you with their love and their prayers. I hope you heard a moment ago their promise to you. Look at her. She really is working the crowd. Yeah, look at that. That all of these people promise their love and their support to love these beautiful girls in ways beyond your reach. It really does take a village. And something tells me this one's going to need some extra love. <laughs> she is going to, she's going to, yes, you are a treat. And so it is good for us to be able to surround you with our love and with our prayers as we bless and dedicate these beautiful children. Will you pray with me, please? And now, Grace, may God bless your mind that you might think while being a person of faith. And may God bless your ears that you might hear the cry of the poor. And may God bless your eyes that you might see the good in every person. May God bless your hands, that you might embrace others in love as well as be embraced by others' love. And may God bless your feet, that you might be quick to run and to serve God in the common and in the everyday moments of life. Together, this is our prayer together. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you. Maybe blessings. Good work. Oh, my God.